Asa's tired, <laughs> and he's small enough he can get away with crying. I'm tired, too. It's not sociably, socially acceptable when I do it. But if it hits me just right, watch out. It's been a good week. I appreciate you letting me be here. It's been a blessing to me. And some of you I've gotten to meet for the first time. Others I've gotten to know a little bit better. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be around you. I've enjoyed the worship this week. Appreciate the singing, the music. Appreciate the good fellowship and everybody who's um, spoken to me and said a good word about my family that's here. I appreciate it so much. And thank you for being hospitable. I'd like to take some of you folk with me to some other places I've been. I preached a meeting in northern Indiana a couple times in a church, and they don't know nothing about it. Matter of fact, I had to give them a glossary the first night so they could even understand what I was talking about. (laughs) Apparently, they don't speak redneck up there. (laughs) Although they are, they just don't know it. Proper rednecks. But I do appreciate you letting me come. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a privilege. It really is. Now, don't take it lightly. And as I leave tomorrow morning to head back to North Kakalaki, as Asa calls it, um, I'll be praying for you going forward, praying God will help you and bless you and continue to work in this church in greater ways than he ever has. And I trust he'll answer that for his glory. All right, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis this evening. The book of Genesis in chapter number 17. Genesis chapter number 17. Don't let these three waters alarm you. Um, If they give you one small bottle, they're saying, get done. But if they give you three, oh man. That means there are no restrictions. The reins have been loosed. And I realize I'm a long-winded preacher. I don't apologize. I do try to do better, but I've been working on it for 40 years, and I'm still trying. But you'll be happy to know our service in North Carolina started an hour and a half ago, right, on Wednesday night service. Our Wednesday night service is typically we meet, we sing one song, and I'm preaching by 5 after 7. I checked it a moment ago, and the boy's filling in for me. He's still preaching. They'll be happy to have me back Sunday. I say, welcome home, preacher. Yeah. Didn't know what you was missing, did you? All right, Genesis chapter 17. We're going to read the first six verses. Genesis chapter 17, verse number one. I like the emphasis this evening in the song service. We're talking about God. Talking about Christ. And it's interesting to me when I read this passage how God, how God reveals himself. Watch this, verse 1, Genesis 17. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now God's already identified himself twice in that first verse. Did you catch it? The Lord, that's Yahweh, the I am, 
Then he identifies himself as the Almighty God, which is El Shaddai. Then in verse 2 he says, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God, Elohim, the Sovereign One, spoke to him, talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. I drew your attention to those three names used for God in that passage. Because the names of God in the Bible are very, very important. You see, God is a transcendent being. And there's no way people like us can know him apart from God taking the initiative and giving us a revelation of himself. And God has done that in his word. And one of the ways God does that in his word is by giving us different names to refer to him by. And each of those names is like a window into the character, the mind, the heart, and the attributes of Almighty God. And so this evening, what I would like to do is introduce you to one of those names and spend some time talking to you about that particular name of God. Not going to tell you what it is just yet. You got to wait a minute till I get there. All right? Now, the life of Abraham, this man we've read about, is a study in faithfulness. From the time God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees when he was about 75 years old, until the time Abraham died over a hundred years later, Abraham was faithful. Abraham was not perfect. But when Abraham failed God, he got back up and he continued to walk with the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. And Abraham, all through his life, he trusted God to keep his promises, the promises to take care of him and to take care of his people. Now, Abraham trusted God to give him a son. When there was no physical way he and Sarah could have a child, God trusted Abraham to save his soul. In Genesis 15, 6, God makes these great promises to God. And Genesis 15, 6 says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. How are people in the Old Testament saved? The same way people are saved today. By grace through faith. That's it. That's the only way God's ever saved anybody. Abraham believed God and God saved him. Abraham trusted God for every piece of money he ever possessed. For every scrap of bread he ate. For every piece of land he owned. For every step he took and for every other part of his life, Abraham believed God. His life, as it's revealed in the text, is a life of faithfulness from beginning to end. But even the faithful have times when they falter. 
times when they entertained doubts about God. And that was Abraham's experience. Way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 2, when God called Abraham out of, out of, uh, out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan, God made him a promise. And he said to him there, he said, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and thy name, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. That was God's promise. Now keep in mind again, he's 75 years old when God makes the promise. And God would reaffirm this promise time and again as the years crawled slowly by. But after years had passed, there still were no children. There still wasn't a great nation. The promise had not been fulfilled. Now, in an effort to help God out, yeah, in an effort to take some of the pressure off the Lord, Sarah suggested to Abraham, she said, you know, that Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, we brought back with us out of Egypt. I tell you what, she's young. And she could bear you children. And you have children with her. And then we'll claim the child is ours. And that will fulfill the promise of God. And so this man, about whom Paul said he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, in response to God's promise of Genesis 15, he now stops listening to the Lord and he starts listening to his wife. The Bible says in chapter 16, around verse 2, he hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now, I'm not recommending, gentlemen, that you don't listen to your wife. But I am saying... You better turn the volume up on God a little higher and do what he says first. And if she contradicts him, you go with God and he'll take care of you through the hailstorm that's coming. (laughs) But as we know, this complex relationship did nothing but bring trouble into Abraham's family. You might say he had Sarah in one tent. He had Hagar in another tent. He was, uh, his life was just two tents. It was bad. It really was. You'll get that about midnight. And their lack of faith is still haunting our world today. Now, by the time we arrive at Genesis 17, about 25 years have passed since God promised Abraham a son. But there has been no son, and thus Abraham finds himself a man in limbo. He is waiting for God to fulfill a promise God gave him a quarter century earlier. Now, I would imagine by this time he is a bit discouraged and perhaps a bit disillusioned by what he sees as God's delay in doing what he said he would do. And God knows Abraham's heart. And because he knows Abraham's heart, God comes to him with a word he needs to hear to give him the courage and encouragement to carry on. And in this passage, God meets Abraham's need for reassurance through, I believe, giving Abraham a new name for himself. In verse 1, God said, I am 
the Almighty God. And that is the name I want to talk to you about tonight. Almighty God, as I said earlier, translates the Hebrew words El Shaddai. This name for God, this name for God appears 48 times in the Old Testament. 38 of those occurrences happen in the book of Jude, in the book of Job rather, and El Shaddai is most often found during the time of the patriarchs. It's rarely found after that. And as I've already said, one of the ways for us to better understand who God is is by understanding His names. So let's talk about this name, El Shaddai, because this is the name of His might. And I want you to understand this evening that our God is El Shaddai. And as El Shaddai, He is all-sufficient, He is self-sufficient, and He is all-powerful. And I want you to understand that this God, our El Shaddai, is all you need. Hopefully, understanding more about El Shaddai will help you to rest in Him and to trust in Him more completely. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. Only two points in my message tonight. When I'm done, you may think there's been no point to it. But let me just give you a couple of quick points, all right? A couple of quick thoughts. I want you to see first with me the revelation of this name. You have your Bible there. Look at the last verse of chapter number 16. The Bible says in, in, in Genesis 16, 16, and Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. He's 86 years old when, when Ishmael is born to Hagar, right? Right, pretty simple, right? Then chapter 17, verse 1, he is 99 years old when God appeared to him. Now, maybe there's some stuff happening in the white space there that I don't know about. But as far as I can tell, it's been 13 years since Abraham has heard anything from the Lord. 13 years. Could you imagine how difficult that time must have been? I mean, all this time has passed. And as one year stretched into the other, half the time dating back to the promise God gave him 25 years ago has come and gone, and he is not hearing from God. One can almost understand the desperation that prompted Abraham and Sarah to carry out their cockamamie scheme and bring Ishmael into the world. One can almost understand what drove them to take matters into their own hands to make a child happen. Almost. But there's never any excuse for disobedience. You see, church, God does not need our help. God did not need their help. God was operating on a different timetable. God fully intended to keep the promises he made to Abraham, but God was waiting to do it until a time came when all hope of human involvement had passed away. When their baby would be born, it would be an absolute bona fide marker down as true miracle. It couldn't happen any other way but God doing it. God was waiting until he and he alone would get the glory. 
And Abraham and Sarah did nothing but cause trouble when they got all mixed up in it. Now, the same is true when you and I try to rush God as well. When we try to force things to happen when we want them to, we're not helping God. We're just getting in His way. And we're making more mess for Him to clean up. God doesn't need our help. And when the time is right, God will do what He intends to do. And when God does it, He'll do it in the right way, at the right time, for the right purpose, and He and He alone will get the glory. But when we take charge and do it our way, we do it wrong every time. But think of it. Thirteen years have passed since we know this man heard from God. And his faith was just like our faith. And it wavered some. Could you imagine 13 years passing and never hearing anything from God? I mean, process that. Abraham did not have a Bible to read. Abraham did not have a church to attend. Abraham did not have a pastor to feed him. Abraham did not have a fellowship of godly believers to discuss the things of God with. He did not have good books to read. He did not have uh, maybe sermon audio or wherever you get your podcasts and preaching online. He didn't have access to any of that. All he had was a tattered promise of God, 25 years old, and he's walking through life, hanging on to that. Plus, it's been 13 years since the last time he heard from God. But look at us. Here we sit tonight with all the blessings of God. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And yet we take it all for granted, don't we? This good singing you heard tonight, you take it for granted. Travel with me and you wouldn't. We take our church for granted. We take our pastors for granted. We take our Bibles for granted. And those things that God has given us that He might use them to invest in our life and cause us to grow and become more like Him are things that we could pick up or lay down as we please and we don't seem to really be captivated by them as we should. I mean, listen, if we go a couple days and don't hear from God, we wonder what's wrong. If we have a few weeks of dead church services and dull devotions, we are ready to throw in the towel and quit. I mean, God can blow things out here one Sunday and two weeks later, I mean, it's been dead the last couple weeks, not much happening, and then all of a sudden you decide, bless God, our church is dead. By the time I packed up and went somewhere where they had more life, Abraham waited 13 years to hear from God, but he didn't quit. He didn't throw in the towel. He didn't give up. He didn't say, God is not going to do anything. His faith in God is amazing. After 13 years of silence, the old patriarch still has one ear cocked toward heaven. And he's still listening, and God comes along 
in uh, verse number one, and God begins to speak to him. And when he does, God hears him. He's ready to hear what God had to say. God did speak. And when God spoke to him, God gave him this new name for himself. And it is the name El Shaddai. Two words. In the Hebrew, El means first or supreme or God. And it refers to, well, it's a common name for God, for deity in the ancient world. Both pagans and believers use the name El to refer to their deities. But God doesn't just identify himself as El or God. He also identifies himself as Shaddai. And that word Shaddai is a word which has many nuances of meaning. But it's generally translated Almighty, which is how my Bible translates it. Again, my version says, I'm not sure what you're carrying. He says, I am the Almighty God. Most of the newer ones I've looked at, they say, God Almighty. Pretty much the same thing, right? Just same dude we're talking about. El Shaddai. And God gave Abraham this name to let him know he still had the power. To keep his word. He still had the power. To perform any miracle. And he could meet as El Shaddai. Any need Abraham might have had in his life. And I want you to understand tonight church. He is still all he's ever been. He is the Lord. And he does not change. He was Elohim. When he created the world. He was Yahweh when he spoke to Moses in Exodus 3. And he shows up here and he tells Abraham, My name is El Shaddai. I am the, I am Almighty God. And he is still Yahweh, the one who makes and keeps covenant with his people. The self-existent God. He is still Elohim, the creator, the supreme deity. And he's still El Shaddai. He's still God Almighty in 2022. Now, as I said a moment ago, the word Shaddai, which makes up the second part of that name, is a word which has... Several different applications based on what the word means. And I want to walk through those with you and share them with you. They might be a help. They might not. I don't know. But I think all of these applications of this name Shaddai give us a little more insight into the nature and person of God. You see, Shaddai comes from a word that can mean unchangeable. I've already touched on this. But God is repeatedly identified in the Word of God as the God who does not change. James, writing about him, he said this. He said, with him there is no shadow of turning. God doesn't even give the hint that he might change. God is steadfast on a purpose. He is directed on his course, and nothing will ever change him. Can I tell you tonight, the same God who walks with you is the same God who walked with Adam in the cool of the day. 
He is the same one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. He is the same one who came to Abraham's tent door and fellowshiped with him. He is the same God who met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the lions, uh, in the fiery furnace, and Daniel in the lions den. He is the same one who walked on the Sea of Galilee and calmed the storm and saved the apostles. He is the same God. He's always been. He cannot change. God's the same as He's ever been. His power, His grace, His mercy, His love, and His abilities never change. And you and I, thank you, buddy. You and I can rest in the immutability of our God. Our God does not change. I change. How about you? I change all the time. I've seen about that today when I put my clothes on. I put this coat on. Let me tell you about this coat. This coat's a little bit big. You see that? When I bought this coat, I think it was along about 1999 or 2000. It's an old coat. I could, I could wear it and it fit barely. That was when I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. But after I bought this coat, I gained 50 pounds, and then I gained 80 more. And this coat would not come even close to buttoning. But guess what? I kept a-changing. And now I'm 140 pounds down from where I used to be. And there's a whole lot of coat left over. You say, well, why don't you get rid of it and buy one that fits? Why don't you mind your own business? <laughs> no, I'm a going to. I'm just a waiting until I lose 30 more pounds. Then I'm going to buy me a new wardrobe. Son, I can't wait. Get rid of these big... If my belt breaks, we're in for a show tonight. That's all I'm going to say about that. I change. I don't look like I used to look. I don't feel like I used to feel. I am a different person today than I was when God saved me. Every day brings change into my life. But thank God, He never changes. So has that has that nuance of meaning. It also carries the nuance of invincibility. That is, our God cannot be defeated by his enemies. No one, not even the devil, can overcome our God. And just for the record, I want you to know, and I want to remind the devil if he happens to be listening or one of his demons ain't run tell him, he's God's devil. (laughs) And he don't do nothing God don't let him do. He will never defeat our God. You can rest in his invincibility. Shaddai has the idea also of being strong, which is why it's typically translated God Almighty. You see, our God has all power in heaven and in earth. Jeremiah 32, 17 said about him, nothing is too hard for our God. Job assessed him and said in Job chapter 42, verse 2, he said, thou canst do anything. 
And when the angel Gabriel came and talked to Mary in Luke 1, he had spent a lot of time in the presence of God. And he said to her, for with, for, for with God nothing shall be impossible. God has all power. And God's power has not wavered. And God will always accomplish His will in the lives of His children, no matter what He has to do in this natural world to bring it to pass. Remember Elijah? God sent him down the brook Cherith. What did God do? He told him, He said, You go down there and drink of the brook. And I like this part. He said, I have commanded, as in I've already, I've already talked to the birds. I done told the ravens, you come in there, so you better get there, because that's where breakfast is going to be tomorrow. I've already commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And he goes down there, and they, they bring him bread and flesh in morning and evening. He drinks out of the brook. After a while, the brook dries up. Some of you looking at a dry brook tonight, ain't you? And you must think you're out of God's will, because your brook dried up. You know why his brook dried up? Because God answered his prayer. He told Ahab, it's not going to rain till I say it's going to rain. And when it don't rain, you have droughts. And when you have droughts, brooks dry up. He should have been praising God. But then God comes to him. When the brook does dry up and it's time to move, God said, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain you over in Zarephath. And you know the story. He goes over there and God miraculously provides. I'm just saying God will do what God has to do to fulfill his promises to you and to take care of you in this world. Now, if I was 99 years old like Abraham and my wife was 89 years old like Sarah, I might be wondering how in the world God is going to give us a baby. But when he was 100 and she was 90, honey, he found out. Brother and I were talking back there a minute ago about how God gives children to the young. And it's a good thing he did. He does. I could not imagine having babies at my age. Not that I'm going to have them, but I couldn't imagine having the baby. Whew, I can't imagine that at any age, but... Ain't enough pain medicine in Birmingham. <laughs> but I couldn't imagine bringing a baby into my home at age 60. Just the thought of that makes me queasy. But God did that. And you and I can rest in the power of God this evening. It's not about what we can accomplish. It's not about what we can make happen. It is about what God can do as he exercises his power and accomplishes his will in the world. We can rest in that. I don't have to worry where my next meal is coming from. That's God's business. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to get the money to buy a new wardrobe. That's God's business. Old car I drive's got 215,000 miles on it. I ain't got to worry about where I'm going to get my next one. That's God's business. I leave the house all the time and drive everywhere. Don't ever take any cash with me. That's God's business. I ain't above taking up a love offering at Walmart. (laughs) 
I used to do it at gunpoint. It's much more effective. That's called taking a love offering. When you give it here, you receive one. I take them. I'm just kidding. Maybe. I better go. Got to hurry. Got to hurry. I changed tags and all that stuff. Don't worry about it. It's, it's all good. I got a bunch of, never mind. Another nuance of meaning tied to Shaddai is the idea of a mountain. Now, mountains rising from above a flat plain, don't they convey a sense of power? A mountain is a symbol of strength. Anybody here ever been to Kansas? Huh? Yeah, you have my sympathies. And if you're from there, I don't want to offend you. But I spent a week there one day. (laughs) Driving by the same wheat field. Hour after hour after hour after hour after. Finally get the Colorado state line. Woo! Cross a little hill. And what did I see? The Rocky Mountains. I said, man, that looks good. And they were a powerful sight to me. Well, I just want to remind you, none stands higher than our God. When we were little, we played king of the hill, you know. Get somebody up on top of the hill and you push them back down and they try to knock. You know how it works. Well, God is the king of the mountain and he stands there by himself. He is the only one qualified to stand there. He is on top of every mountain you'll ever see from the midst of your valley. And he is going to help you through the valley until you reach him on the mountain. He is El Shaddai. Y'all still with me? I really am hurrying. This is high speed. Shaddai also has the idea of pouring out. Pouring out. You'll find out why in a minute. But God has the ability to bless His people. And doesn't God pour out His blessings upon us in abundant fashion? Oh, Our family has seen God do it time and time again. And El Shaddai is the satisfier. He is the one who pours himself into the lives of his children to make them fruitful and to give them what they need as they pass through this life. One of the primary meanings of the word Shaddai, which comes from the word Shad, means breast. Now, don't let that embarrass you. It is not God's fault. This is what I'm about to say. It is not God's fault that we have sexualized a body part designed to share life with a child. Our depravity has done that. Now, many ancient religions fashioned their primary goddess with an image which depicted her having many breasts all over her body. The Egyptians had Isis. The Romans had Dinah. The Greeks had Artemis. And that the symbolism of many breasts meant they were able to comfort, supply, sustain, and satisfy their followers. 
And guess what? Shaddai is plural. It refers to more than one breast. Isn't it ironic to think of God who is always described in masculine terms in the Bible, referred to as El Shaddai or the many-breasted one. But you see, a mother literally pours her life into her child through her breast. Am I right? Thus, such an image is fitting for our God. Because just as a mother's milk supplies the needs of the child while it grows, giving them all that nutrition, sustaining their hunger, satisfying them day by day, not only that, but the mother's bosom or breast provides a place of comfort. How many times have we in our childhood been drawn up into our mother's breast and loved and comforted and helped? It's a precious precious thing. Imagine being a triplet, though. But here's the thing about God. He's not limited to one or two at a time. It's not that He's helping you and helping you, but He can't help me. No, He is the many-breasted one. There's enough for all of us, every single one of us. While he's blessing you, God can bless me. While he's comforting you, God can strengthen me. While God is meeting your need, God can take care of what I got going on in my life. There's plenty of room for everybody to come around the Father and get what they need. Thank God he comforts us when we are hurting. He sustains us when we are weary. He feeds us when we are hungry. He supplies us with everything we need to be holy and healthy and happy. He is God Almighty, and He is the many-breasted one. Rest in Him and be satisfied. Rest in Him and be nurtured. Rest in Him and be supplied. Rest in Him and be filled. Rest in Him and be comforted. Rest in Him and be loved. If Abraham had understood this, He never would have scaled down the promises of God. He never would have tried some do-it-yourself plan to get it done. He would have waited for God to come by and give him what he needed, knowing that God is the many-breasted one. He could have rested in God, and he could have missed out on a lot of pain. But God being God, he's got a plan in that too, which we won't go into tonight. But that is the revelation of his name. He is El Shaddai. I love that name. But notice the response to this name. Verse 1. See, second point already. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, El Shaddai. Then he said, walk before me and be thou perfect. 
Now, everything God did for Abraham, God did it because he loved him and because he had a plan for him. Everything God does for us, he does it because he loves us and because he has a plan for our lives, right? God doesn't do it because he feels obligated. He does it because he chooses to. He wants to pour his life into you. Yet God does have expectations. He had expectations for Abraham, and God has the same expectations for you and me. Let me show you what he told Abraham to do. He said, walk before me. God expects us to walk before him. Now, in the past, Abraham had walked before Sarah. And he had walked before Pharaoh. And he had walked before Hagar. Messed up every time he did it. But now God calls him back to walk solely before God. And that phrase there, walk before me, it has the idea of having a perpetual sense of the presence of God, realizing that every minute of your life, you live it under the watchful eye of the one who sees everything, who's in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And Abraham was to understand, just as you and I are, that every thought, every word, every action is done before the very face of God. And I think one of the critical marks of a person who is growing in sanctification is they live every minute as if they were standing before the throne of God itself. They realize God is watching, and they want to be found pleasing, and they want to do what God wants them to do. We must keep in mind who God is, and that God does not wink at our sin, but God sees us. You remember when you were kids? I know that's a long time back for some folks. But if you think hard enough, you might remember how you acted one way when the parents were watching and another way when you didn't think they were. Somehow my mother was a mutant. I don't know. She's probably watching. I love you, Mom. Thank you. But my mother had three eyes. Two here and one there. And somehow she always knew what I was doing. I about confessed something I did one time, and she don't know about that. I about confessed it, and I ain't going to say it. She'll have to ask me about it later. I ain't telling you neither. I ain't none of your business. But somehow she always knew what I was up to. But the presence of our parents, our other adults, changed the way we acted, right? We were on our best behavior when them grown-ups was around. But you know, sometimes I think we forget God's always watching. And He sees everything we do. Oh, it's worse than that. Not only does He see what we do, He knows what we think before we do it. 
He hears what we say. But he knows what we're going to say before we open our mouth and let it out. He knows our hearts. And I think one thing you and I need to learn to do is learn to fear God. Have a holy reverence for Him. And walk with the constant knowledge that God is always watching us. Somehow we seem to think God doesn't hear, God doesn't see, God doesn't know. But He does. He sees, He hears, He knows. You know what He tells us? Jesus said, He that taketh not His cross and followeth after Me is not worthy of Me. He said, those who are worthy of me, they submit themselves under the instrument of death. They die to themselves, and they live to please me. God help. God help. I got a long way to go. How about you? In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said it this way. If any man will come after me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You know what it means to deny yourself? It means you say no to yourself. It means literally you turn your back on yourself. You repudiate yourself. You disdain yourself. You hate yourself. You turn away from everything self wants. And you give yourself only to what God wants. And that's what the Lord wants. Y'all quiet now. But it's still Bible. God wants us to walk before Him. But then He tells Abraham something strange in verse 1. He says, be perfect. Now thank God. The word perfect does not mean to be sinless. Abraham couldn't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. The word perfect means to be upright or sincere. It has the idea of walking with God and being blameless. What it really brings to mind is the idea of transparency. Transparency. He's telling Abraham, I want you to walk with me and I want you to be see-through like a pane of glass. Don't clog it up with a bunch of hypocrisy. Don't hide a bunch of stuff in your life thinking that you're going to disguise it from my view. He says, I want you to be transparent. Be real. Just be who you claim to be. And that's what God's people need to be today, right? We need to lay aside our mask of hypocrisy. And we are to be genuine and we are to be transparent. Listen, we are to be a people who hate sin, who hate lying, who hate deception, who refuse to operate under selfish motives. We should repudiate hypocrisy and be transparent before God and others. And that's dangerous, isn't it? Y'all still with me? God wants his people to be who they claim themselves to be. Is that true of you? 
You know, our image of a hypocrite is a guy who comes to church on Sunday, then Monday through Saturday he's out in the world doing all kind of crazy stuff. That's not necessarily true. Anybody who hides behind a mask pretends to be one thing when there's something else. They're a hypocrite. They're a hypocrite. Hypocritical. It's not transparency. But do you ever feel, I mean, I, I, read, I don't want to call up in this too much here. I mentioned this, just touched on this last night. But do you ever feel like that being transparent, I mean, that's just something you have a hard time doing because you feel like it leaves you vulnerable. That if people saw the real you, they wouldn't like what they saw. But don't you think, folks, if the church is who the church ought to be, and we're representing Jesus as we should, and we are open and transparent before God, then we should also be open and transparent before one another. Any member of this church ought to be able to walk down here, turn back and look you in the face, and tell you exactly the deepest, darkest secret of their heart and know that when they do, you will not judge them, you will not turn on them, that you will love them and pray for them and help restore them to where they ought to be. That is what our churches need to be. But I'm afraid we miss it because we're afraid if somebody else gets transparent, it's going to show how clouded up our life is with all of our junk. And God says, be perfect. Just be transparent. Let's see the real you. That may be a big ask for you, but I think it's what God wants. He wants us to be honest. You see, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I've been a Christian for a long time. been preaching for a long, long time. But I'm not perfect. And I'm not always transparent. I'm not. I mean, some Sundays I go to church and I'll be honest with you, I don't want to be there. I can tell you because they're here, they're there, and you're here, and I'm, you know, they ain't going to watch this. They heard me all the time. They ain't going to listen to me preach again. They're thankful to get somebody else. Even if you didn't, I told them, I told them the other day, bring a sandwich with you. I know the guy, he preaches forever. He's Pharaoh, keeps God's people in bondage. But I'm not always transparent. How about you? Because we feel like if we are, people will reject us. But wouldn't it be refreshing to be able to come to your church and just be honest? To be able to say to your congregation, folk, I need you to pray for me. I'm depressed. I need you to pray for me because I slipped and I fell this week and I, I messed up and I did some things I'm ashamed of. And know that your church would love you and forgive you and restore you and not alienate you. You see, if we get that way with God, utterly transparent, it'll be far easier for us to accept transparency in the lives of other people. Well, 
I don't want to get into all that, so I won't. Just on my mind. Well, about a year after all this happened, guess what happened? <laughs> Sarah, 90 years old. She has a baby. And God gives them little Isaac. God fulfilled his promise to them. He proved to them he was not only Elohim and Yahweh, but he was El Shaddai because he comforted them. He sustained them. He supplied them. And he satisfied them. And he is our El Shaddai too. And this is something we need to be reminded of quite often because we forget, don't we? We forget. Prone to worry, Lord, I feel it. That's how we ought to write the song. Because we are prone to worry. Why worry when you can rest? Why fret when you can have faith in God? Why fight for what you think you deserve and need in this life? Why not just yield yourself to Almighty God and trust El Shaddai to take care of your need? And my mission tonight would just drop by and tell you that He is El Shaddai. You see, if you're a lost sinner, He has the power to save you. If you're a child of God with some need in your life that you need met, He has the power to do it. If you need the courage to be vulnerable and transparent with your church or if your whole church needs transparency, He is the God who is able to do that. He can even help me live for Him. And if He can help me live for Him, He can help you too. Our Father, thank you tonight that you are El Shaddai. What a wonderful name. And thank you that you still are. You always have been the Almighty God, the many-breasted one. And I praise you that you're able to sustain, supply, satisfy, and comfort your people. And I thank you for all the times you've done that in my life. And Father, I pray for this church their pastor and his family. I'm about to go away. It'll be back to business as usual. Father, I pray they'd never forget who you are. I pray that whenever a crisis comes in their life, every mountain that rises up ahead of them, remind them you are the God who stands on the mountain. When the river runs dry in their life, remind them, God, that you are the one who pours life into his people. Every time they're afraid, remind them that you're there for them. You'll never leave them nor forsake them. But you will go with them all the way home. Bless this church. Let us hear great news coming out of Brookside of the things God's doing here. We'll praise you for it. Thank you in your name. Amen.